All right, so again, my, my name is Will. I'm one of uh, the elders here at the City Church, and uh, we are in a vision series right now. So in, and in that vision series, we're kind of unpacking what we're dreaming about for the next five years. And so uh, we're going to say all these things a lot of times, not just today or for the next few weeks. We're going to say them all the time, okay? Uh, but what we're saying right now is we want to see revival, uh, a movement of the, of the Spirit of God that leads an entire people into a renewed strength in their faith, uh, a vibrancy in their connection to and obedience to God. And uh, there's historical precedent for asking uh, for this, for believing that it can happen. There's, it's not just something we, we uh, decided for the first time ever we want to see this happen. There's historical precedent, precedent for that, and it's, it's not as if this has never uh, uh, God's never done this or that it's never needed to be done. This, revival has uh, been needed throughout the history of the church. It's not a linear path that we have been on as a church from uh, 33 AD on. Uh, it's not just a linear path where things are always moving up and to the right or depending on how you see them, down and to the right. And so uh, there's, there's been a, this time throughout history where people have become self-sufficient and they, uh, or they believe that they are, and then everything breaks uh, in their world, and they cry out to God, and then he responds, and he moves. And so God has ignited movements in our country that have been astonishing. Over the course of history, it may seem like a long time ago, but, but God has done things in our country that, are, that would just blow you away. Hundreds of thousands of people encountering Jesus, putting their faith in him. Now, are there parts of those revivals, those awakenings that are disingenuous and uh, faulty? Yes, for sure. But, by and large, there's this movement that sweeps across a, an entire people. Not just, not just a church, but a whole country, in multiple countries. Like, it's, he's done amazing things. It, it's a small view of God to assume that our day and age, that revival isn't needed, or somehow God isn't capable of it now. Right? It would be a small view of God to think that. And, uh, and I'm not saying that revival is the only way that the gospel is going to move forward and that we shouldn't be content to engage in a long obedience in the same direction. I, th I think you absolutely have to be. And I think the gospel is going to move forward incrementally in people's lives and in small ways. But, but man, I also believe that God has brought major movements throughout history where his spirit sweeps through and changes hundreds and thousands of lives. And, uh, and man, I want that. But those revivals, those are revivals of joyful worship. And they've happened time and time again throughout the course of the history of God's church. And, uh, and we're saying we want, it, we want that to happen in us. Not, not, not primarily out there, but primarily in us and in us as a people. Okay, that's what we're saying in this vision series. And so I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, do you have a sense that you need revival in your life? A revival of, okay, yeah, hey, thank you, somebody. I didn't even see who said it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yes, a revival of joyful worship in your life. Do you have a sense of needing that? And so again, if, if, you're, if you're not, maybe, maybe the answer for you would be a, a resounding no. I, I, I don't need that. Actually, actually it's, it's been happening. That's, that's happening. I, I have a revived joyful worship in my life. And so I would just say to you, if the, fan of, if, if the flame of your faith is burning hot with joyful worship, then we are glad that you are here. And uh, I think that God wants to use you in our midst. Okay, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, but if you're honest, uh, if, <laughs> that sounds like you're, if you're honest with yourself today and you find that your faith is a shell of what it used to be and you're maybe going through the motions in your heart, um, maybe your love 
your worship is actually chasing something else very subtly, just going after something else. Uh, I just want, I get that. I, I get how that can happen, and I've been there. And uh, here's the deal. I, I love you too much to be okay with it. I love you too much to say, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's a big deal. Our worship is a big deal to God, and it's a big deal for our lives, okay? So the second thing, do you, do, do you see a need for it in your life? Do you see a need for this as a church? Do you, do you see a need in our church uh, for revival? Can you sense a need for revival in our church? And I'll tell you, I, I interact with a lot of church leaders all over the place, and, and we're not the only ones longing for this. There's actually this really, like, very subtle, I think, like a tide rising in God's church, in, in not just... In, it, there's crazy things happening all over the world. I used to work with churches in uh, India and China and mi the Middle East and North Africa and Central Africa. There's crazy, God's doing crazy things globally, but I, I do think that there's a sense, that even in God's church, uh, in, our, in our culture, in our context, that there's a longing to see this revival. And, uh, and so we don't have a corner on the revival market, and I don't want one, Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, we're not the only church wanting that, and I don't want to be the only church wanting that. You know that? Uh, but I, I want to address something briefly. It, 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 I want to address it. Is saying that we need revival is somehow uh, saying that we need to just blow things up and start over as a church. And I'm saying that, that, that the answer to that is no, because there's so much good that God has done in this place, in these people. Um, and I think it's good that we can build on and there's so much good work that God has done that he's accomplished in our midst that we can carry forward, okay? So, so a, a longing for revival is not, is not to say that we're going to blow up and start over. I mean, uh, to be clear, though, there is certainly change that is needed, right? So we need, we need some amount of change. That, that, uh, that, is, that is clear. And so we, where we were as a church, this is just all family business, where we were as a church is not somewhere where we could have stayed. That was not a place that was healthy to stay. We were in a holding pattern in terms of vision and direction and in a lot of ways running out of fuel in that holding pattern. And so the reality is, is like I, I came to this church. I, I, we moved our family here to be a part of what God's doing here because in a lot of ways we needed to renew vision here. And so uh, you might be feeling like a lot of change is happening right? So if that's, that's you and you feel like a lot of, maybe if you're newer, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, dude. Hey, you're good. That's cool. Great. I'm glad you're here. All right. Ride the wave. Come on. Uh, but if you've been around, I want to set you free from this one false narrative that I just, I feel like I need to tell you. Uh, pressing into what God has for us as a church in the next season is in no way disloyal or condemning of our past. Uh, I don't know if that's bouncing around in your head or in your heart anywhere, but that's not true. Okay. Change was coming for our church, and whatever changes we do make, they will be in pursuit of one thing, a revival of joyful worship. So you can just rest your heart into that, okay? I don't know what narrative you are thinking, but that's, that's not true. Uh, to press into this next season is not to condemn our past. It's actually to love that and to press into it further, okay? So that's for, if, if you're newer here and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, great. We're going to talk about some cool stuff in just a minute, but I just want to tell you where we're coming from. you got to know, change was needed and coming. And these are the changes that we're making if you feel that, all right? And so what we need, what we said last week is that a, a lack of joyful worship in a church is not a secondary issue. 
okay? A lack of joyful worship is actually a primary issue because that's why we exist as people and as why we exist as a church, okay? And so a revival of joyful worship is what we're after and isn't something we just like to have. It's something that we think we must have. It's why we exist, okay? And so this is something we want in us, okay? And it's something we want through us, something we want in us and through us, a revival of joyful worship in us that advances God's kingdom in every generation. All right, so are you tracking with me? We want to see this uh, spark where the Holy Spirit sparks revival, which is just a, a turn from whatever direction of you're moving away from God towards God in this act of joyful worship that he then sustains with an ongoing burning flame, okay, that advances his kingdom in every generation. That's what we're saying for the next five years. We want to go after that, okay? And, uh, and so that's, that's our dream, what we're dreaming about, thinking about, bending our resources to, okay? And so uh, joyful worship is a serious business for our church, for the people in it. And you won't find somebody who's more interested in your spiritual growth. Not, not out there spiritual growth, your spiritual growth and development as a believer in Jesus. That's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about seeing that. And I want to see more people coming into that life of discipleship that you're leading. More people coming into that life. More ground being taken for the kingdom, and so our desire as a church is that God would use us to fulfill his plans and accomplish his purposes. Okay, do you hear that? And, um, and we're going to take a look at those plans and purposes today and how joyful worship is intimately connected to them. All right, that's what we're going to look at. We'll be in Matthew 28 if you want to turn there and get there. While you're doing that, I'll tell you, I, I saw something while I was driving down I-30. I was heading west. Um, on I-30, I was taking my daughter to the grocery store, and uh, it's kind of like a fun daddy-daughter adventure, okay, because a two-year-old in a grocery store is exciting, okay? If you haven't taken a two-year-old to a grocery store, you should do it. You don't know what's going to happen in there, how many donuts you're going to eat. It's just, it's awesome, all right? But we're, I was taking her there, and uh, because we're transplants from Central Texas, H-E-B kind of just feels like home, okay? So that, yeah, there we go. Other people, you believers, all right? H-E believers, um, uh, so it just feels like home. It's worth the trip to Hudson Oaks, okay? So we make the drive all the way out there. I'm, it's not a big deal to me. It's like 20 minutes, whatever. Uh, and, uh, but I saw something on my way out there. It caught my eye uh, because it was just so strange. There's a lot of strange stuff on 30 heading west. Um, but there's one thing in particular I was like, what in the world is that? It was a ninja training center slash ballet theater. Have you seen this? There's a ninja training center, which I've also is unfamiliar to me, but Ninja Training Center Ballet Theater prominently displayed these two things in one place. And uh, to be fair, I've never studied ballet or martial arts, all right, so I'm, I'm a little bit in the dark. And I would guess that ninjas are fairly graceful, all right? Every ninja I've ever seen portrayed, they're very graceful, but uh, it does seem like a random combo, right? Uh, like, what are they, are they doing lessons at the same time? That's what I was trying to think. Are they like, are both happening at once? Yeah, are they involved with one another? Are the same people training the ninjas and the ba uh, ballerinas? Um, some students doing both a ninja ballerina combo. It just seemed like a funny mashup to me. And uh, somehow, uh, I was, I, I saw that and I thought, man, you know what? It would be very possible for us to, as a church, see our vision and treat our church like a ninja training center ballet theater. You're like, what are you talking about? Like we're pursuing a revival of joyful worship and advancing God's kingdom. Like they're two things that we've stuck together, but they don't really belong together. 
And uh, I think that might be the temptation for some of us, uh, that we just pair these, to think that we just pair these two random pursuits together. Um, but if we hold them as distinct, disconnected ideas, what I'm going to tell you today is both of them are going to be weakened. Both ideas will be weakened. Both pursuits will be weakened. And it will reveal that we, under, we did not understand either one. Okay? So to pursue a revival of joyful worship and advancing God's kingdom is not an option for us. We're trying to pursue a revival of joyful worship that advances God's kingdom. Okay, and so we're, we're busy people. There's a lot. That's what, like, one, one thing I've just heard a lot lately, and I feel it's probably maybe school starting again or uh, whatever it is. There's just a lot happening in your lives, okay? Is anybody in here not busy right now? Raise your hand if you're not busy. You know why nobody's going to raise their hand? Okay, first of all, it's because you're like, oh, this guy, thank you. Uh, it's because, uh, did I not release the kid? Oh, I did, okay. Um, uh, you're not going to raise your hand, one, because you're like, I don't want to raise my hand and draw attention to myself. But two, it's kind of like a badge of being busy. Uh, it's like a badge of honor in our culture, okay? Uh, but, but, but we have already said that joyful worship, uh, like, that's why we exist as God's redeemed people. And so if advancing his kingdom is another thing on your plate, uh, if it's not vitally connected into joyful worship, this thing that must exist, then it's going to get pushed off your plate. If it's, not, if it's not one and the same thing, your plate is not big enough, all right? We all get 24 hours in a day. Second thing, to embrace a pursuit of God's kingdom that isn't fueled by worship and aiming at worship is like giving a car, somebody a car without gas. I borrowed somebody's car yesterday and it actually didn't have gas in it. <laughs> I needed to put gas in it. But to give somebody to say, hey, I want you to pursue advancement of God's kingdom that's not fueled by worship and aiming at worship is like giving somebody a car without gas. It's not going to work. It won't run. So this is something pretty critical. We need to understand this. We need to grasp this and keep grasping it, okay? And so here, here's what we're going for today. Here's what we're after, Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20. Joyful worship is the fruit and the fuel of advancing God's kingdom. Joyful worship is the fruit and the fuel of advancing God's kingdom. Uh, and I want us to have a vision for advancing God's kingdom as an act of joyful worship that generates joyful worship in the lives of others, okay? So we're, so we're talking about this morning. And so uh, we're going to be in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, uh, if you haven't already turned there. Uh, so these are the last verses of Matthew's account of Jesus' life. We're going to go right up to, like, the end. So if you're in your Bible, it's like the next page is Mark, right? So it's the very, very end. And Jesus is giving instructions for, he says, tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee, which is a really amazing thing for the Son of God to say about his disciples. But he says, tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. And, and these are his last moments with these guys before he ascends to heaven. And just, just by way of reminder, uh, he doesn't die after this. Okay? Just, just so you know, the crazy thing about what, what we're saying, we believe about Jesus, is that he came back from the dead and he never died again. Uh, even if somebody did, like, you can, we can resuscitate people or people are coming back from the dead in that sense, but they, they always die again. Right? It's this crazy thing. 100% death rate, okay? He, he doesn't go back in a tomb. So he's going to ascend to heaven after this, and, uh, and he's going to give some instructions in these verses. And so we, 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 take great, we put great stock into people's last words, right? Uh, if, you, if you have a loved one, uh, because, I'm, because I'm kind of a worst-case scenario guy in my mind, a lot of times I have given last words many times to my daughter or to loved ones. It's like, here's, here's what the last thing I would say would be you know, uh, 
And uh, it's, I mean, truly, it's like really heart-wrenching when you get there, so don't, don't do that. But if you, we do put a lot of stock in, in uh, people's last words, okay, and we pay close attention to them. How much more should we do this for Jesus, his last moments with his disciples? How much more should we put stock into what he's saying to these men uh, in this moment, okay? And so we're going to read it now together. Uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, so uh, that's, that's our passage for today, and we're going to kind of just work through it together. All right, so the, starting at the beginning, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Okay, so you put your eyes on that. Um, so we don't hear much about the eleven disciples. How many, how many disciples were there? Twelve, all right? So if you've been around the church or kind of loosely associated with the Bible, uh, you know there, there were twelve disciples. So whenever it says uh, the eleven disciples, it just catches my ear. And uh, why, why were there 11 disciples, just by way of reminder? Judas, yeah, Judas was one of the 12, and he betrayed Jesus. And then afterwards, uh, he went and took his own life. And uh, man, it just made me wonder, like, what if, what if Judas had repented? Have you ever thought that or wondered that? Uh, what, if, what if he had repented? Uh, the betrayal of Jesus is like a pretty horrific thing. Like it's, by all count, I mean, you're not going to recover from that. But what if he had? I just, I just wondered that, like, it's not even necessarily central to this message, I just was wondering. Because uh, Jesus' grace was sufficient for Peter, who denied him three times. The only difference between them is Peter went to Jesus, he ran, he swam to him when he saw him. And so, uh, I just wanted, just getting into this text, I gotta put this on my heart, his grace is sufficient for whatever is keeping you on the fringes of worship, okay? His grace is sufficient for you. And if there's something in your history, your life, your memory, I'm praying that God would use today uh, just to bring down the walls that you've built, not him. That the walls that you've built. So his grace is sufficient. Um, and so I wonder how they felt when they were walking there. They, the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, they, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. I wonder how they felt walking there. You know, just try to put yourself in their shoes. They're walking to this place. A place Jesus told them to meet him. And uh, the last month of their lives has just been crazy. This is about a month after uh, Jesus was resurrected. And the last month of their lives have been crazy. They've periodically come across Jesus or he's walked into the room where they're at. And so their whole like paradigm for life is really getting flipped. It's pretty confusing. The, the resurrection wasn't even something that they necessarily understood should be the next step. It wasn't like, and then Jesus gets resurrected. They were like, he, okay, he got crucified. I don't even know what that, okay, so is he the Messiah? Next thing you know, he's, a, he's resurrected. It wasn't part of their understanding of what should happen next. So their whole world is flipped upside down. Uh, and, their, and their lives after this, uh, well, their lives will never be the same really from that point on. What they are about to hear from Jesus will send all of them but one to their deaths. So, so the instructions that Jesus is about to give them is 
go, literally going to send them to their deaths, except for one of them, and he had some pretty gnarly stuff happen to him. So it wasn't for lack of trying that the world had. And they will die advancing God's kingdom, and the way they embraced their calling is why we are here today. Their re reception of these instructions and then their ability to carry them out by God's grace and his power is actually why we're here today. So just to kind of lean into these words Jesus is going to speak, it wasn't just like, oh man, you know what, let's start a church. Uh, this is our idea. We're going to start an organization and kind of create all these denominations. No, these men carried this news to the ends of the earth, and they died along the way. And God's faithfulness in carrying that news is actually why this, we as a people are gathered in here today, reading, reading these words, singing these songs. It's kind of an amazing truth, okay? And so keep reading. Uh, verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And so, he, so, so they, they're walking to this mountain, and they see Jesus, and when he came into view, their hearts were just flooded with gratitude and love, and they could do nothing besides fall down and declare his goodness and his glory. That's, that's what this word worship, that's, this word in particular that's being used is like a, a word for fall down before, uh, prostrate before somebody and declare those things, okay? Um, and so it's actually a pretty unique thing that's happening in this moment. So just try, again, I'm trying to help you get into this text and where it is. And so there's a lot of heavenly beings that when you, if you stumbled upon them or if they showed up in your room, uh, you encountered them, you were going to be very tempted to bow down and worship them because of just the awesomeness of, of their stature before you. Okay, and so uh, th there's a lot of people that are tempted to worship heavenly beings, but, uh, but they always say, hey, don't do that. Hey, don't do that. Hey, stand up. We together are worshiping him. But Jesus, in this moment, he doesn't do that. He receives it. It's a declaration of his deity. Say, yeah, that's the appropriate thing to do. He receives it. And that's, that's where I want my heart to be all the time. I want my heart to always be in this place where I catch a glimpse of Jesus and I just fall down and say, you are so good and you are so kind to me. I see you for all you are and your worth is just echoing in my heart. Uh, and so uh, I, that's where I want it to be. Uh, but, but it says here that some of them doubted, right? Do you see that? They saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So that word doubted means something like hesitated. It doesn't, it's not like necessarily an intellectual doubt or uh, the, the best word I do think there is hesitated. And so uh, the funny thing is that it doesn't, the, the language in the original text doesn't help you know exactly who's hesitating. Okay, so it could have been one of the 11. It could have been, uh, other, it depends on how you interpret a verse earlier in Matthew 28. Uh, it could have been one of the other brothers who had come there. Whoever it was, though, the reality is, is that this combo of despair with Jesus' crucifixion, okay, and then, and then the, the mystery of his resurrection, both why is this happening and all the encounters with Jesus would say, it's definitely Jesus, but there's something more happening here that is almost bewildering to the eye. And so uh, they, th that created this hesitancy in their hearts. And so even as I was reading that and preparing for today, I, I want to tell you, if there's a sense of hesitation in your worship, I think that this little note here is to help you. Right? So you, we're singing these songs, and there's something in your hearts lagging behind. It's not there. There's a hesitancy in your worship of Jesus. I'm telling you, this note is here for your good. God knows that our hearts doubt. He knows that our hearts wrestle. Jesus doesn't send away the doubters. Do you see this? He says some of them fell down and worshiped him. Or they worshiped him, which is an act of falling down. 
and then some of them doubted. And then he speaks to all of them. So my encouragement to you, if your heart is lagging behind, lean into this and hear what Jesus has to say, okay? If there is a hesitancy, hesitancy in your spirit. Um, and uh, yeah, pray that God would apply uh, the truth of these words to your heart by the power of his spirit and remove the hesitancy that exists in you. Okay, so verse 18, we're going to keep going. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is a wild statement, okay? All authority. So leadership matters. Like, we, when, when we come across a, something that's chaotic or scary or there's something that's going on, you, you walk into a place, one question you might have is, who, who's in charge here? Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Who's, who is the leader? And uh, in moments of fear and chaos, we actually reach for an authority who knows what they're doing, right? If you're in a medical emergency, who are you looking for? Uh, doctor, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, doctors, who you're looking for. Medical emergency. Don't look for a lawyer, right? They're not going to help you. They don't have authority in that space, right? Uh, if you're in a military, uh, a, a, a battlefield situation, who are you looking for? A, a, a commander, Somebody who's in charge, who knows what they're doing, who has authority. So we actually reach for people, and Jesus says, it's me. In terms of life and the universe, you want to understand the scope of the universe, who's in charge, who knows what's going on, it's me. I'm the authority. I'm in charge. He's taken command of the universe. So uh, we remember way back in Matthew 4, before the Sermon on the Mount that we preached, Jesus came declaring the kingdom of heaven. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is here. He's declaring it, and he's establishing its rule and its reign. Okay, so he's, he's the one who's saying, hey, there's a kingdom, and it's here because the king is here. And so I'm wondering if you've ever worked on like a big project, and you got gotten to the end and wondered, hey, was it worth it? Was this big project worth it? Or maybe worse, you could see along the way, hey, this isn't worth it. My, my boss has me running, doing this thing, and I'm telling you, it's, it's for nothing, right? This whole thing's going to be for nothing. Uh, my friend, uh, a guy named Halem Sah, who's preaching on this, he made the point that many of us struggle with either being workaholics or being lazy, okay? We, we tend to be in one of these two spaces, and both are rooted in this longing to do something that matters, we long to do something that is going to matter. And uh, workaholics are obsessing over their work because they believe it will last. And lazy people are unmotivated because they believe nothing's going to last. And so Jesus, what he does is he gives his disciples a global mission that they can uh, in no way accomplish on their own. But he tells them that the mission won't fail. He tells them, if you are engaged in this, mission that these instructions I'm about to give you, I can assure the, the success of them. Why? Because I'm in charge here. I know what I'm doing, and these are my instructions for you. So if you're wondering if your life is, is working towards something that matters or is being built on something that's going to last, Jesus is saying you can build it, you can build your life on what I'm going to instruct you to do because I know that it will last. I'm the authority in all the universe. It's a mission that will never fail. And so with this confidence, certain victory ahead, Jesus gives these directions. He says, go therefore, remember all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And so we're going to look here now in just a second at the responsibility that Jesus just gives to his disciples in these words. But first look at what Jesus is aiming for. He, he, just, he gives his disciples a responsibility, a, a, an instruction, but first you've got to understand what is, what is Jesus aiming for with this? How can we get an insight into what Jesus cares about, his priorities, his purposes, okay? And so uh, it, it's, it's in these words, all nations. Make, make disciples of all nations. What is Jesus going after? He's going after all nations, and that word isn't like geopolitical groupings, okay? It's not like um, Saudi Arabia and Brazil and uh, uh, Puerto Rico, depending on, you know, uh, whatever has happened, uh, Cuba. It's, it's, not, it's not geopolitical groupings that he's after. It's peoples. It's groups of culturally distinct people, often with distinct languages, ethne, where we get the word ethnic group, Okay? And so I, what I want you to hear in this, I, I really want you to hear this. How do I know? I'm, how do you know? I'm, I'm saying I really want you to hear this, okay? I think Jesus really wants you to hear this. Uh, he's not saying something new. Jesus, this is not like a new idea that Jesus came up with. He's like, you know what? Got on my resurrection body. Let, what we, I'm just going to brainstorm, get on a whiteboard, kind of like sketch it out. What should we do? I guess maybe disciples of all nations, you know? That's, that's not what's happening. Uh, it, this is not a new plan. This is the plan from the beginning. God tells Adam and Eve in the opening pages of, of Scripture. Do you remember what he tells them to do? Yeah, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Right? What is, what is the scope of God's plan from the beginning? Global. It's a global plan. Fill the earth and subdue it. Psalm 86, 8 through 9 says it this way. I think it'll be up there. It says, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Th this is like, what I did when I picked that verse was picked from like a hundred. Like it really, it could have been so many other verses. I was like, I guess this one's great because it's, they're saying all the same thing. God is after a global glory. And so he is building his church. This is what he says in Matthew 16, 20. He says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. His church, that's his people. Just so you know, this, this building, we, if we ever meet in another place, that might be great, okay? Uh, but for now, I'm super content to meet here in this building because it does not matter to our church. I mean, it matters to our church, but it is not our church. We could go to another place. You know what would be meeting in that other place? Our church. Because we are the people that make up God's church. And he, that's what he's building. He's establishing his kingdom. Okay, God's church and his kingdom are not the same thing. Okay, I spent a ton of time reading this week about how people were telling me they're not the same thing. And then they would explain how they're very close to being the same thing. All right, but, but uh, they're not the same thing. They're just deeply connected. Tim Keller, uh, pastor in New York City, smarter than me. Uh, in Tim Keller's words, he says, churches are pilot plants of the kingdom. They're outposts. They're the people and places in which God's rule and reign are being enjoyed. Okay, Habakkuk 2.14, it says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Read it slowly because we just, we, we, I don't think people really read this verse. They're just like, the water's covering the How do the waters cover the sea? It's not how the sea covers the earth. Just so you know, how the waters cover the sea. How do the waters cover the sea? Completely. 
Okay, just so you know, where, where there's sea, that means there's water covering something, okay, the ground. That's how the waters cover the sea completely, okay? But it's, it's going to be filled completely with what? Not the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I have misread this verse like probably a hundred times just because I haven't taken the time to stop. But he says it's going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It will be filled with knowers of his glory, worshipers. Remember what we said last week, worship is what we, what we treasure above all things, right? We exist to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation. We are a people designed to worship God, to find everything we're looking for in him, to trust and treasure him above all things. That's what's happening in Habakkuk 2.14, an obscure little verse tucked away in this small book written by a prophet, okay, that's promising what God's after. And Jesus is not saying something different when he wants disciples to be made of all nations, okay? That's what it means for there to be disciples of all nations, is for there to be worshipers in every single people group, every ethnic group, every uh, tongue, tribe, and nation, okay? That's what that means, is for worshipers to be everywhere. And these people, Jesus said, have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're people who know, the, which is a declaration of saying, I know the redemptive pursuit that the Godhead has accomplished to bring me into reconciled relationship with Him. That's what you're saying when you get baptized. Is I'm dying with Jesus. I'm being raised to a new life because the Father sent the Son, right? And the Spirit empowered the Son. And then he was raised from the dead in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then there are people who are learning or they're, they're learning to observe all the things that Jesus commanded his people. That means they're learning to live them out. They're not just getting a head knowledge or a seminary degree in something. They're actually learning to walk with Jesus. And that's how our worship makes its way into every part of who we are. And this, I'm, I've, I've been telling you all this stuff because this has always been God's plan. You've got to understand, this has always been God's plan. But um, here's something that's just as shocking to me. Or, or the, what Jesus is saying shouldn't be shocking because it's what his, his plan has always been. The shocking thing is that he says he wants us to do it. You're like, of course, I know this part. I know this part of the drill. We're supposed to make disciples. But, but you don't know this part of the drill because this is the crazy thing. We're, we're supposed to make worshipers of God. And then he says, I want you to do it for uh, the whole world, okay? I want you to do it. And so what does this all have to do with his authority, okay? Uh, he's the reigning king of the universe. And then his plan is to entrust the success of his plans to these 11 guys who he pulled from obscurity a few years before. Not super impressive guys. But here's the deal. Discipleship is his plan A for reaching the world, for creating these new worshipers. It's his plan A. There's no other plan. And so here's what you got to get. What, you, what you're doing when you're advancing God's kingdom, are you serving people? Yes. So we're saying we want to see a revival, joyful worship that advances God's kingdom in every generation. So are we serving people? Yes, yes, we're serving people. Uh, are we being generous? Yes, yes, we're being generous to people. Uh, are we seeing justice and mercy delivered uh, in the world around us? Yes, yes, we're, 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 we're helping to see mercy and justice advanced uh, in, in our spheres of influence. We, we are. But ultimately, that just gives people a taste of God's kingdom. 
They're, they're just getting some of the offshoot benefits of God's kingdom. That's what it means to be in God's kingdom, to see mercy and justice and goodness, all these things, a person rightly restored to who they are. That's what they, uh, is somebody who's in the kingdom. But when we're just doing those things apart from inviting people to be citizens of the kingdom, we're just giving a taste of it. We're not actually advancing it. So what we are is a bunch of people who are standing around the fire of God's glory and grace, inviting other people to come near it. We're inviting other people to come near it, and we are taking that fire into their world, carrying it out and saying, hey, there's a fire that can warm your soul that's freezing cold and dying. We're advancing the kingdom by advancing worship. And so inviting people into a life of discipleship is certainly an invitation for them to die to themselves. So if, if you didn't get this memo, Jesus said, hey, if you're going to follow me, it's basically death to yourself. But the promise is, the promise is uh, that you'll find joy everlasting there. That's a promise with discipleship. Yo, you're surely, your life is going to get totally flipped. Your, everything you knew is going to change, but I promise your eternal joy. That's what you're inviting people into. A life of worshiping God forever. So ultimately, we are sharing our joy to complete our joy. There's a sense in which our joy is not complete until we share it. We don't invite people into joyful worship when it isn't kindled in us, though. That's what I know for sure. There's a sense in which you need to have joyful worship kindled in you before you invite other people into that. So we want a revival of joyful worship in us. We won't invite people into that, what we have, not what we don't have. So John Piper says it this way, and it's some of his most famous words. It's a long quote, but I think it's worth it. He says, missions, so that's, uh, see also advancing God's kingdom, is not the ultimate goal of the church. I want you to hear that. Worship is the ultimate goal of the church. Missions exist because worship doesn't. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. I wrote our subject line before I read his quote. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. But worship also, worship is also the fuel of mission. Passion for God, hear this, passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching when you preach the gospel to those around you in your life who are needing hope. You can't commend what you don't cherish. We, as a church, cannot commend what we don't cherish ourselves. We must have a revival of joyful worship in us to see God's kingdom advanced beyond us. So the reality is, is advancing God's kingdom, it's not just going to be like, oh, I'm just worshiping my way there, so I'm just skipping along. Everything seems to just be fun. That's, that's not what we're saying in terms of joyful worship. It's going to cost you something, and it will certainly be hard, and uh, it will certainly be challenging. But here's what Jesus' promise is for his, his disciples that carry out this global mission of advancing his kingdom, seeing more and more people gathered around the eternal throne of worship. Here's what he promises to them. This is, and this is the verse that I, I, if I could say nothing else to you this week, I would say this. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Around Wednesday of this week, I looked up, 
uh, from my computer. I was trying to write an email, and the email wouldn't come out. It was like an email about um, inviting city group leaders to come to something. And uh, I just, it couldn't, it wouldn't come out. And I realized that for the last 48 hours, everything in my world, everything in my heart seemed to be uh, pulling me away from joyful worship in God. Um, and so I, I looked up, and I was like, how can I invite people to joyful worship that I don't have? People in our church. God, would you help me? And uh, my worship was waning, my joy was depleted, and I, and I was doing my job, you know, like I, I, I'm employed by a church, but I was not doing what I was called to do, which is joyfully worship and lead others to do the same. I wasn't called, doing what I was called to do, so I had to stop. And our Heavenly Father gently reminded me of this truth. He sat me down and reminded me of what he called himself through the prophet Jeremiah, he called himself the fountain of living waters. You know, that's what God calls himself in, in Jeremiah. He says, my people, they have forgotten me, the fountain of living waters. And my soul that, that day was just so thirsty. And God was like, of course it's thirsty. You're not drinking. You're not being refilled in your joyful worship. And so some of Jesus' last words before he went to the cross, these are his last words before he ascended, but some of his words before he went to the cross, they were uh, uh, explaining to his disciples how jo joyful worship can be sustained in this global lifelong pursuit of seeing joyful worship cover the earth. He said, abide in me, remain in me. How are you going to sustain in this joyful worship, this thing that we are wanting to give away to our neighbors? Or uh, Man, there's, a, there's just so many kids at TCU that are there in their freshman year at TCU, and their lives are so confusing, and they're away from, like, think of your own kids the first time they're set loose from your house, how badly they need people in their lives calling them to a life of discipleship. There are... Um, kids all around Fort Worth, ones who are in healthy Christian families, and the ones who are not, that need so badly to be invited into a life of worship. There are families that are on the verge of just complete destruction. There are workaholics in every single industry. There are people addicted to everything you can imagine because their worship is broken but we don't have a, a, a shot. We don't have a chance. There's no way in which we're going to advance God's kingdom apart from God. And we're gonna just disregard Jesus' last words to his disciples, which aren't go and make disciples. His last words were, I'm gonna be with you when you do it. Abide in me. Remain in me. Stay close to me. My words and my love. He said, abide in my words. Abide in my love. And so I want you to dream about what revival of joyful worship uh, in us making its way into our city could look like. I I, that's like an application point. Like I have two applications. One of them, dream about that. Actually for you, think about this. Hey, there's something to be said here. Making disciples seems to be like leading people into joyful worship. Okay, so I want to see joyful worship advanced because I want to see God's kingdom advanced. More ground taken for the kingdom. More people invited into kingdom citizenship. And so what would a revival of joyful worship in my life, well, how would that catalyze God, God's kingdom advancing beyond my life. I want you to dream about that. And we're going to take some of those dreams, and we're going to throw them up onto something, and we're going to say we're dreaming about that, okay? I have some dreams. 
I do have some dreams. I have dreamed a dream that 500 TCU students, which is 5% of that school, would be worshiping with our church. You're like, there's not enough room for that. That's a problem that I would love to have, right? And not just necessarily at one time, but over the course of this next five years, that 500 of them, right? Over the course of the next five years, what if five junior high and high schools had leaders that were students, a part of this body, sent every week into their schools, okay? Uh, inviting people into joyful worship. Okay, what if that? What if there was tons of new moms? What if there's 500 adults that got invited to follow, to know Jesus and follow him in the next five years? You know what that would mean? It would mean about 100 members, which is what we have, uh, one, one person for the next five years for you that you invite to know and follow Jesus. Now you're like, dude, I could do more than that. Go for it. But by, the, by God's grace and the power of his Holy Spirit with Jesus with us, what if you invited five people into a life of discipleship, and they came. That would mean that there were 500 more souls gathering with us on Sundays, and that would be, there would be 500 more souls gathering around the throne in eternity. That's what I would be dreaming about. What are you dreaming about in your world? What would a revival joyful worship in your life bleeding out into your world, what would that look like? What would it translate into? It doesn't have to be just numbers, but it is certainly translating into people. And then the second theme. Uh, so he says every age, or uh, to the end of the age. And uh, here's why every generation. Why we want to see God's kingdom advance in every generation. Here's why. Because you and I, we won't be here for that long. We, we will not be here for very long. Both in our lifetimes and then this age is going to come to an end this age in which people are invited into the family of God. There will be no more at it. But Jesus says he'll be with us to the end of the age. We won't be here that long. And a generational note in our vision is a timestamp on our pursuit of kingdom advancement. That's what it is. Right now. We want to see this happen right now, not just in this next generation of kids. Yes, and amen, but nobody believes, nobody believes that God's kingdom is going to advance into the lives of 50, 60, and 70-year-olds in Fort Worth, Texas. That's where I want to see it advance. I want to see it advance upward generationally and then downward generationally. Okay, what if there were a bunch of 60-year-old people in Fort Worth who all of a sudden were just captivated with Jesus and they bent all of their resources and their time and their life towards seeing his kingdom advance? That would be pretty rad. It would be, right? I heard something about generations recently, Generation Z. They're like, you know, they just really want to have an impact. You know why? Because they're about 20 years old. When you were 20 years old, you know what you really wanted to have? An impact on the world. Jesus' guys, these disciples, were about 20 years old by all accounts. Some people draw them, you know, in pictures. They look old. I don't think they're old. I think these are young men, and they believe Jesus and they took him seriously, and they changed the world. There are a bunch of 20-year-old people in Fort Worth looking for something. We have what they're looking for. A generational time stamp saying right now, God, in our time, right now, old people, young people, every socioeconomic group within there, every race within there, all of them, these different periods in life, God, would you send your gospel through us to advance your kingdom in every one of them. But you got to know that our pursuit of kingdom advancement is tied to your own joyful worship. Yours. 
Not, not somebody else's. Your joyful, I mean, just, just listen for your own heart. I know we've been in here for like forever. You know, you're like, is this guy ever going to stop? Yes, I'll stop. When you hear me on this one thing, your joyful worship is what we are after, what I am after as your pastor, okay? I want you to keep your worship burning hot. And there's one way, one way that Jesus says that you're going to be fruitful in this. Not try super hard, not be really smart, not do all this research, not get all this training. He says, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing, he says. You're not going to bear any fruit. Your life is not going to change. You're not going to change anybody else's life. No way will you do that unless you stay very, very close to the fountain of living waters. Okay? Apart from Jesus, our worship is drained, and apart from him, we can do nothing. But the good news is he promises to be with us to the end. Would you this week, would you this week plan on it? Plan on some way where you can get near to Jesus. Some way where you can actually help, uh, where you can see his promise coming true, where he says, I promise I'm going to be with you. I promise I'm going to be with you. Would you give space in your life this week for that? Make an appointment with him and keep the appointment. Get into his word and, and listen to it. He'll, he'll talk to you. His love isn't coming through in your soul. Hey, ask, ask somebody for help. Hey, I'm not, I don't even believe that he loves me. Because when you are abiding in him, then I'm sure of this, that we will advance God's kingdom. I'm sure of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you, um, would you convince our souls of that this morning? Would you, not, um, would you help us to not see Jesus' words here as another thing to do, but as the thing to do? Would you complete our joy as we share our joy? Would you give opportunities this week for, for these friends, these people in this room to say, I believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again for me, and he's changing my life. Would you help us to declare that truth? make disciples would you see would you help see these dreams come true for your kingdom would you help us to dream your dreams this week but would you anchor all of it in joyful worship would you anchor our souls into this truth would you help us to not drift from or be removed from or distant from uh, the fountain of living waters god we need you would you help us would you stand with us it's in jesus name we pray amen so you're going to have a chance now uh, to... Uh